0: You know, while we're here on this earth, we still have to walk it. We still have to deal with the pain and suffering. We still have to deal with the riots. We still have to deal with the politics. We still eh, we don't have to deal with the politics necessarily. (laughs) We don't have to deal with all that. But what we do have to deal with is our sin. We do have to deal with a look at ourselves and see ourselves in the eyes of God. And we want to be moving forward. We don't always want to be looking back. But we want to make sure that we're walking in the right direction in our walk with God. We want to be in fellowship. Because I can tell you this world can pull you away. You get concerned with the things of this world and it'll make you take your eyes off of Jesus. And like, like Peter walking out on the water, he saw the, he saw the waves were boisterous and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. You feel yourself begin to sink, cry out, "Lord, save me!" Well, there's a. We've been working through Samuel here, and we've we've seen Eli's sons, Hophni and Phineas, and we've we've looked at that, and we talked about that in Sunday school a little bit. I just I just like to give a little more detail sometime in Sunday school from a sermon that I'm going to be giving in the sermon. But I want you to look at two verses with me when we look at 1 Samuel here. Look at uh. Look at 1 Samuel chapter number 4, verse 21. Now, oftentimes in the Bible, when they name someone, it has a meaning. You know, sometimes we choose here in America, we choose a name because it sounds good. But when we read in the Bible, when they gave someone a name, we can see a meaning behind that name. And this is one instance in 1 Samuel 4 21. A young mother has just given birth to a child. And uh, something bad has happened. In verse 21, and she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory of the Lord is departed from Israel, because the ark of God was taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband. She named her child Ichabod, saying, The glory of the Lord is departed. And I want you to look at another verse over in 1 Samuel, chapter number 7, verse number 12. 1 Samuel 1st number tw- 7 chapter number 1st Samuel chapter number 7 verse number 12 it says then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpeh and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer saying hitherto hath the Lord helped us so we have a young woman naming her child Ichabod, and we have Samuel naming a stone Ebenezer we're going to learn a little bit more about that today. Won't you pray with me? Amen. So we have two names here. The one name, Ichabod, means the glory of the Lord departed from Israel." You know, one thing you don't want to name your church is Ichabod. <laughs> I believe there are some churches out there, or maybe one, that's called themselves Ichabod. You never want to have Ichabod written across the front of your church. The glory of the Lord has departed. We want God's glory with us. We want God going before us, and we want God to lead us. But there's then we have another name that is Ebenezer. God is our help. And believe it or not, these are related to each other. Ichabod, the glory of the Lord has departed to Ebenezer. The Lord is our help. Both statements come after a battle. The first one comes from the lips of a dying mother after just giving birth and after Israel has lost a battle to the Philistines. Her husband's been killed and uh, her father-in-law has died and the ark of God has been taken away. The ark that was in the tabernacle, the ark that, that God dwelt on between the cherubims, the ark where the sacrifice was made and the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat, the ark that was the connection between Israel and God, was taken by the Philistines at the end of this battle. And they asked the young woman, Your child lived. What do you want to name your child? And all she can think of is to name her child Ichabod. The glory of the Lord is departed from Israel, for the ark of God was taken. Now the second one comes from the prophet Samuel, after Israel gained victory over those Philistines. And he sets up a stone... And he says, so first of all, the glory of the Lord has departed from Israel comes after God's judgment. And the second one, hitherto, or to this point in time, the Lord has helped us, comes after a revival. There's a revival that's taking place. There's apostasy and judgment that's taking place. I know I mixed you up. I'll get it here. Then in first name, you have God's judgment that took place with the glory of God departed. In the second name, you have a stone set up as remembrance that God helped them in battle. And we're going to look at these two battles today. And, and I want to talk about from Ichabod to Ebenezer. Hang on a second. I got to pull myself together. I did, the glory of the Lord may have departed from me. Y'all hang on. But when the glory of the Lord departs from you, your ministry is gone, your your service to God is gone. God has put you on a shelf. God has made you cast away. You remember Paul says, I keep my body under subjection, under subjection lest I become a castaway. Now we know that we have salvation, but we also know there comes a time and we talked about it in Sunday school. There comes a time when God's judgment when when God is done putting up with you or God is done putting up with sin. And that could be in a nation, and that could be in an individual. And we see it with Israel. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it with Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. He had put up with the sin that they had. So when we look at Ichabod, number one, the glory of the Lord is departed from Israel. These are sad words for the people that God delivered out of bondage in Egypt. Fed in the desert, provided water, their clothes and shoes never wore out, and the people who, gave God, who God gave the victory after victory both spiritually and in battle. Everyone in that area knew the God of Israel. The walls of Jericho that came down simply at a shout because God brought the walls down. You know, I've heard scientists or somebody try to say, well, it happened because of this, or sound can really bring, you know what, God brought the walls down. They were in some ways robbed from their spiritual leadership by Eli's sons who were more interested in themselves than in attending to the tabernacle and services. And that stands for fathers and mothers, too. We can rob others of their relationship with God. We can cause them to stumble. We can become a stumbling block. And uh Dee Dee brought up some family members, and, and you know, we, we knew they were saved. But you see them in sin. You see them going out day after day and, and, and just kind of trampling the blood of Christ. And had a warning, had an accident, had a warning. And, and nearly, nearly passed away in that accident. And it was really, I bring that up because it was really a miracle how they survived. And it should have been a wake-up call. But then I don't remember how many years later. It was a number of years later. They had another accident in the same way, from drinking and driving. And that one, they didn't survive. And it was a sad thing. It, it may be, and you can argue with me, God knows his own God. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant to his own master? He's standing there falling. But, you know, we see in the Bible that time after time, God will allow things to happen, but he's given people enough rope to hang themselves. And Eli and Hophni, uh Hophni and Phinehas, they were stealing the offering of God and they were making people to abhor the offering of God. And they were also laying with the women at the door of the tabernacle. They had no respect for the things of God. And when God talked to Eli about, about it, Eli, when Eli had talked to his sons and he refused to take them out of that position. He refused to do anything to them and became a part of their crime. And God pronounces judgment. In verse number, uh, look at uh, chapter number 3, verse number 13. He says, for I have told him, and God's talking to Samuel here. He says, for I have told him that I will judge his house. And he's talking about Eli. He's telling Samuel to tell Eli, for I have told him that I will judge his house forever. For the iniquity which he knoweth, because because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. Number one, if you want to stay off the road to Ichabod, look at the unrepentant sins of Hophni and Phineas. Unrepentant sin. They refuse to repent of the sin. You know, God. when God sends you a warning or God speaks to your heart, don't be afraid. Be tender of heart. To turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I I did wrong. I understand this. Sometimes you can be hard-headed and you can just keep on going and keep on going. And and people get pride. They say, well, why would I pray to God now? I've I've done all this my whole life. Or I've done this and that. And they're too proud to come to the Lord and and humble themselves. They're too proud to come to the Lord and humble themselves and say, Lord, I did wrong. And we can confess their sins to the Lord. But Hophni and Phineas, if you look back over in chapter number 2, when Eli tried to warn them, and he said unto them, Why, verse number 23, why do you such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear you. You make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto the voice of their father because the Lord would slay them. Now God had hardened their hearts because their heart was already hardened. How many opportunities did they have to turn back to the Lord? How many opportunities did they have to stop what they were doing? They had unrepentant sin. And then dishonoring God. Verse number 29, chapter number 3, verse number 22, verse 29. The Lord is talking to Eli, he says, Wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering, which I have commanded in mine habitation, and honors thy sons above me, to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel my people. Wherefore, the Lord God of Israel, and then he pronounces judgment on him, Eli was honoring his sons above God. He was putting his sons above God because he wouldn't judge them. He wouldn't take them out. He wouldn't take them out of that position, but he left them in it. God called that dishonoring him. And then the people that go in this battle, and I want you to look at the battle here, and maybe I should have gone here, but in chapter number four, verse number one, if you were in Sunday school, we went here, but in the word of the Lord came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel, and when they joined the battle, Israel was spitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. If you want to avoid Ichabod, if you want to avoid having the name Ichabod, put over your ministry, put over your life, put over what you've done, don't use God, but let him use you. They go out to battle and they lose and 4,000 men are taken out and they say, let's bring the ark of God into battle. God's ark belonged in the tabernacle. God's ark was behind the holy of holies. God's ark was only visited once a year and the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. God dwelt between the cherubim and they took it upon themselves to use God like a rabbit's foot and bring him out. And you say, oh, it can't happen today. Oh, it can when you look at the Word of Faith movement, oh, I had some quotes I didn't put them in here, but they'll, they'll twist God's word into saying that God wants you to be healthy. There's one preacher that says God couldn't do anything to Adam because Adam was a little god. They lift man up. They use God in order, to, you know, to in order to be wealthy. One was arguing that the disciples weren't poor because God. They said, "How hard." Is it for someone to enter into the kingdom of heaven? I know y'all don't understand this. I'm just throwing it out there. And they were shocked. And he said, you know why they were shocked? Because they were rich. (laughs) And God wants you to be rich. These aren't direct quotes, but I'm telling you how people use the word of God today. They don't let God use them, but they use God. And they use God to make themselves rich. They use God to make themselves fat. You don't want Ichabod written over your ministry, over your life. Confess your sins. Don't dishonor God. Give God his honor. And don't use God for your own purposes. Over in the Bible, turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, verse number 13 says, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth.' And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And all the evil spirits, in verse number 16, and the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. They didn't know Jesus for themselves. They said in the name of Jesus who Paul preached, they saw an opportunity to use God for their purposes. To be known as those that could cast out devils. If I ever watch one of them ghost hunter shows, maybe I shouldn't admit that I have, you know. It's, uh, I'm always waiting for the funny part, you know, where somebody says, what's that noise? And the person behind them goes, because they made the noise, y'all. But you see, well, they're dealing with spiritual things and, and some of them will have their icons or some of them will have a little, a little token of something to have God on their side or they'll have a cross or they'll do something like that to have God on their side. They'll use God, using God for their own purposes. Over in uh, you have Simon the sorcerer who after there's a revival going on and they lay hands on them and the Holy Spirit comes on them, which is a different time, different dispensation. But Simon the sorcerer says, Give me this gift that when I lay hands on people, they can have the Spirit. Simon wanted to use the Spirit of God to his purposes. Paul said, you have neither part nor lot in this. So we have the road to Ichabod. We have the result of Ichabod. The battle was lost. Not only was it lost, but look over in verse number 10 of 1 Samuel chapter number 4. Says, and the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent, and there was a very great slaughter. For there fell of Israel thirty thousand footmen. So they went from losing four thousand men to thirty thousand men. And God fulfilled His judgment on Hophni and Phineas, and took them out in that battle. And the battle was lost; they were defeated. And the center of worship was lost. Look at, uh, look at chapter number 4. Verse number 19. Oh, let's see. Uh, verse number 11, I should have read on. 30,000 footmen and the ark of God was taken... And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. So the ark of God was taken by the Philistines. The ark of God that had been carried through the wilderness, the ark of God where God dwelt between the cherubim, was now in the hands of God's enemies, the Philistines. And then verse number 19, and his daughter-in-law, talking about Eli's daughter-in-law, Phinehas's wife, was with child, near to be delivered, and when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed with her pains, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women that stood by her said unto her, "Fear not, for thou hast borne a son." But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, "The glory of the Lord is departed from Israel, for the ark, because the ark of God was taken." and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said the glory is departed from Israel for the ark of God is taken. And the Philistines take the ark back and there's a whole story behind that that we're not going to go into. But look over in uh, chapter number 7. We'll be going there. And the Philistines get the ark of God back to Back to Israel, they put it on a cart with two milk kine, and they have they lock up their child, their their calves and, and the cattle take the ark back to the people of God. Verse number seven. and the men of Kirjath Jearim, verse number one. I'm sorry, chapter number seven. and the men of Kirjath Jearim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Benadab in the hill and sanctified Eliazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass while the ark abode in Kirjath-Jerom that that the time was long, for it was twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Not only was the battle lost, but their center of worship was lost. The ark was never returned to Shiloh. They never returned to Shiloh to worship. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. They lost fellowship with the Lord. Now look at verse number three. So if you don't want Ichabod written over your life and ministry, repenting over your confessed sins, honoring God, not using God, but letting God use you, avoiding Ichabod. But here we have, we turn to Ebenezer. An Ebenezer stone is set up. It said, the Lord God is our help. Ebenezer comes on the heels of a revival. And they lay a stone down and named it so that they could look back and remember a time that the Lord helped them. Let's look at the road to Ebenezer. Look at verse number three. Chapter number seven, verse number three. It says, And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, if you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. And then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah. And I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together in Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. For revival to take place, you know, in churches, we talk about revival and in the Bible, we see, we see all these times that Israel gets away from God. And we can look at that and see in our own lives, maybe times that we've gotten away from God But then you see Israel when they turn back to God, how glorious it is. And how God never refuses to accept them when they come back. And that's something to understand too, Christian. That God will accept you when you come back. There may be consequences for your sin. There may be things that are left over, things that you have to deal with from your past. You know, in this world, we still have to deal with things. God doesn't just clear the record on everything, but he clears your record in heaven. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. We may have to endure some of the consequences, but God will never turn you away. And that's a grateful thing. Amen? And every time Israel turned to him, God opened up his heart to him. So it said in, verse, in 1 Samuel 7 begins with, For it was 20 years and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Number one: the road back to Ebenezer, there's a hunger for the Lord. Somebody gets away from God, and it's a fearful thing to watch them get away from God. And, and you know, the, the prodigal son is such a picture of that. Someone gets away from God and they get off into the world and they get away. And they get further and further away, and the mother or the father, they're watching, or the friends, they're watching their friends. Or even the pastor that sees someone that was coming to church and then falls out, and you just watch them drift and drift. And all you can do is pray for them. They take a hard left or right, and they, they hit the bottom. They hit rock bottom. And all you can hope is and pray for is that when they hit that bottom, there's no place to look but up. They can't look sideways to some friend that'll save them. They've all left them. Right. They can't look over in this other direction for help. They look and turn to God. Amen. Now God may send someone to help them, but they look and they turn to God. And there was a hunger for the word of the Lord. There was a hunger for God. Twenty years, the ark was in chi- was in Kirjath <clears throat> 20 Twenty twenty years without the ark of God. Twenty years. The ark that had led them through the wilderness. God dwelling with them. So there was a hunger for God. And look what what Samuel says. He lays out the whole recipe in chapter number 3. It says, And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts. I've said this before. The heart desperately wicked. We have to turn our heart. We have to steer it. Not let it steer us. Turn your heart toward God. You know, and there's times it, it may not come natural. But you, you push it aside and you say, Lord, I'm going to put you first. It hurts a little bit right now, but Lord, I'm going to put you first. And your heart begins to, you set your feet right. This is my saying now, you set your feet right, God will set your heart right. You start to go toward the things of God and God will begin to change your heart. You'll see someone touched by something that you did that God used you for and God will begin to change your heart. God will begin to open your heart up toward other people and toward Him. Return to the Lord with all your hearts. He says, Then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord. They had gone off into idol worship, and the people that He's talking to hadn't been turning to God, they'd been turning to their idols. And, you know, sometimes people will turn something into an idol and say, well, that's of God. You know, I've heard about voodoo. that It uses symbols from Christianity and things like that. You know, people will turn toward, they'll they'll add God to their idols, and they'll add their idols to the idea of God. So when he's talking to them, they all have idols to Ashtaroth. They've all bowed the knee and whatnot. But he's telling them, put those idols away. If if you're really longing after God, Put that junk away. That's not the way he set it up. And he set it up so that we can worship him in our heart. He so said, put away the strange gods. They put away Balaam and Ashtoreth. And he said, prepare your hearts. And in verse number six, it says, and they gathered together in Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel. They confessed their sin. But if you're going to be back on the road, if you're going to be on the road to Ebenezer and leaving Ichabod, you need to watch out. Because it doesn't mean everything's going to be hunky dory. Because there's somebody out there that doesn't want you to draw close to God. And you say, oh, you see him in every corner. No, no. But he's out there, and you're a fool if you don't fight the spiritual battle. It says in verse number 7, And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, and the lords and the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Now Philistines here, it's a real army, it's a real people, it's a real history. But spiritually speaking, the devil is always waiting to trip you up. And I tell you, the time that he gets a hold of you, the time that he gets a hold of a church, the time that he gets a hold of a Bible study group, the time that he gets a hold of you personally is when you start to draw close to the Lord. And then you're going to face opposition. But it's not yours to fight. God will use you in that fight. But the victory is whose? Amen. Amen. I know these are softball, easy questions, but when you're in the middle of the battle and when it's going on, it doesn't seem so easy, does it? When, when something's around the corner and it's, it's insurmountable, it's not so easy. But here they were. They were turning back to God and the Philistines heard of it. And they think, well, they're gathered for battle. They're getting strong. They're, they're ready for another whooping. Let's gather them. Let's get over there. Verse number seven, went up against Israel, and when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So they prepared their hearts, and he said, serve them only. Uh, Let's look back at the... Yeah, verse number four, where they serve him only. Then the children of Israel, they put away Balaam and Ashtoreth and served the Lord only. But the attack begins in 1 Samuel 7, 7, when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together at Mizpah. In the book of Acts, we see this over and over again, this attack. It's not just something made up. But when in chapter number 2, 3,000 are added to the church. And in the beginning of chapter number 3, a lame man is healed. Acts chapter number 3. And Peter gives God the glory and more than 5,000, believe. Over there in Acts chapter number 3. And then in chapter number 4, Peter and John are brought before the council. Jesus would heal someone that was lame. And there were the scribes and the Pharisees to accuse him, healing on the Sabbath. At the end of chapter number 4, they pray for boldness and there's unity among the saints. They're selling their land and giving it to the church. And in chapter number 5, Ananias and Sapphira are lying to God. Peter says, why hath Satan filled thine heart? And there is Satan there to attack God's church in its infancy. But the victory is won. Look at verse number 8. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. You know what's different here? Because here is a battle that's taken place arguably 20 years later, but the 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 first battle that took place with the Philistines, they said, was at Ebenezer. And I I think as Samuel writes this, the place is already called Ebenezer, and he goes back and refers to that place for the first battle. But that first battle, they go to the Ark of God. The second battle, you know where they go? They go to the source. They go to God. If you're going to be on the road to Ebenezer when you face that battle, when Satan comes better be going to the source and not everything around it the world has all kinds of resources you can turn to you can turn to all kinds of counseling resources you can turn to all kinds of things but if you don't turn to the source God in heaven you're destined to lose the battle So put away the strange gods, they put away Balaam and Asherah, prepare your hearts, they confess their sin, serve him only, letting God use them, instead of them trying to use God, delivered, and he delivered them out of the hands of the Philistines. So the victory is won, they cry out to God, they don't turn to a symbol of God as if it's a rabbit's foot. Hebrews four sixteen says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then look at verse number 9. And Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering, holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them. means he confused them, he scattered them. And they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came under beth And then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. So the victory is won, God thunders, and the Israelites win. But there's something else to note about that victory that God used them in that victory. It's a strange thing that God would trust us with the gospel, and it's a strange thing that God would use us. We cry out to God, but God still uses you (laughs) often to fight that battle. You still have to go through it, but you just trust him the whole way. You know, when I I was, I say it too many times, but, you know, being out of work, was a scary thing. And when you get up in the morning, all you can do is go through the process. Process. And you can't get out of it. Because you wake up and it's still you. And you're still in that position. And it's still scary. The bills are still due. And the kids still need you. And you get up in the morning. And you make yourself get up. And you pray to God. And you say, God, where will you have me to go today? And you say, Lord... I'm too, this is me now. You don't have to say this. Lord, I'm too stupid to know (laughs) what you want me to do. All I can do is do what's in front of me. You steer me, Lord, please. Just guide me. And as they go out there, I think God was behind every sword swing. I think God was behind every yell. I think God was behind every battle, every, every Philistine that went down. I think God was behind it. But he used those israelites he didn't just wipe out the philistines before him but god used them in fighting that battle but make no mistake about who the victor was the victor was god old nebuchadnezzar looked out one morning he said all this hath my hands built all this have i done and god struck him down and had him walking through the wilderness on his hands and knees, his fingernails grew, his hair grew, until he realized who the God of heaven really was and who really gave him all of that. So in placing the stone, he named it Ebenezer. There's Ebenezer moments in our lives. There's Ebenezer moments in your lives, I know. There's been times when God has helped you. Hitherto has God helped us. When you think of stones in the Bible, you think of Noah building the altar after the flood. He comes through on the other side. Every one he ever knew or met was destroyed on one side of the flood and he comes out on the other side and he builds an altar to God and lays those stones out to build an altar. We think of Abraham building the altar and calling it Jehovah Jireh in the mount of the Lord. It shall be seen. The song they sang after passing through the Red Sea, praising God, those times to mark those victories in our lives. And that's what Ebenezer is. Leaving Ichabod behind and naming it as Ebenezer. And the 12 stones which Joshua set up after crossing over the river Jordan on dry ground, 40 years in the wilderness, and finally coming over into the promised land, Joshua set up the 12 stones, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. You know, one time personally in my life, I was listening to a sermon. As I listened, that sermon was getting a hold of me. I'm listening on a tape. I'm outside. I'm sitting on some steps. And I'm looking down as I'm listening to that sermon. And just like the Lord was just grabbing my heart and just, or maybe grabbing my shirt. (laughs) And I'm sitting there looking at the ground while I'm listening to that sermon. And there was this one little funny-shaped stone. I'm not making this Bible. I'm just sharing something with you guys. But there was this one little funny-shaped stone that I was staring at the whole time. And maybe the man said something about taking stones. Well, I looked down there, and I picked that stone up. And all I had to do was look at that stone, and I remember what the Lord was telling me. You know what I call it? Judas stone. There you go. Y'all say, what was going on? Oh, that's none of your business. (laughs) You mark your own stones in your life. Amen. It's a reminder of what God's done for you. It's a reminder of what God told you. It doesn't mean you got to have stones all over the place. You don't have to have a collection now, but you mark those things that have happened is we can get to moving on in our lives and we can forget what the Lord did for us. And we see that in the next chapter, after all of this victory, after God guiding them, in the next chapter, they say, give us a king like all the other nations around us. Hard to understand there's only one chapter here for us. For them, there's a lot going on. A lot to overcome. So in placing stone, there's a remembrance of past defeat. 20 years earlier, over in 1 Samuel 4.1, of present victory. The Lord fought with them. He thundered while they fought. And a future victory. When we look at the past, when we look at the Bible and we see what God did for His people, and when we look back on our own lives and we remember those Ebenezer stones in our lives, He took care of me then. He'll take care of me in the future. He took care of me then He's promised me eternal life. Do you see where I'm going here? He took care of me then. I know he can take care of my kids. He took care of me then. I know he can take care of you. He took care of me then. I know that he can take care of this church. We look at those Ebenezer stones in our lives and we see the past, we see the present, and we see the future. Psalm 33, 20 says... Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 44, 26, arise for our help and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. And Psalm 124, 8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. So it's good to remember the past. When we read the Bible, we're looking at the past and the ways in which God worked through his people. We see the defeats that they suffered, the silence that they suffered when God declares Ichabod... But we see the Ebenezer Stone laid laid down as a reminder of God's help and victory. Let me tell you something. The first victory that a Christian ever gets is victory over sin and death. And that only happens through Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you can't even approach the Ebenezer Stone. Will you all stand with me?